Welcome to Working the Word with Jonathan Vorse. Join us now for service already in progress at Lakewood Church of God. We're going to pray and ask the Lord's blessing upon uh, the teaching today, the message. Aren't you excited about the Lord and His Word? Amen. Here's what I want to do. I want things to be a little bit different today. Instead of me praying over it, why don't you stretch your hands this direction and pray for your pastor today? Won't you do that? Come on, just pray that the Lord helps me. I can't hear you. Mm. Yes, Lord, I receive. Yes, Lord, I receive. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. I receive it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I want to talk to you for just a few moments today. I say just a few moments. This is kind of one of those messages that the Lord dropped in my spirit and, uh, a few, quite a few days back, and I've been kind of carrying it around inside of me. And uh, every now and then the Lord will do that. You know, I mean, He'll kind of put you on a track, but I never, and, and I'm telling you guys, I never just get up here and just preach something. Okay, I ask the Lord, I'm before the Lord, I ask the Lord, what is the message? What are you wanting to say to Lakewood and those that watch on live stream? And uh, so that's how messages begin coming and that's how series begin coming. You guys know that I do a lot of series because it's very difficult to really dig real deep uh, into any particular theme or anything in just one 30 or 40 minute message. But this is one of those messages that the Lord had kind of dropped in me, and I've been waiting for him to say, okay, now. And uh, I got that from him this week, and so I'm looking forward to sharing it with you just simply because I think it's going to help you a whole lot. And what I want to do is I want to talk about Jesus cares. I want to talk about Jesus cares. Now, um, just let me begin by saying, have you, ever, have you ever been in a situation where you felt like that no one cared? I mean, no one understands. No one knows what I'm going through. Uh, people don't understand the anointing or the calling that's upon my life. People don't understand the gifts and the talents that I have, uh, you know, things of that nature. Uh, ever been, anyone, or is it just me? All right, okay. Well, I want to tell you something this morning. Jesus cares. Jesus cares about you. Today I want to talk uh, and just kind of go over, just in the very beginning of the message, I want to go over some emotions that we find in the Scripture that Jesus had. Now I think it's important for us to understand that if you don't care, you probably won't have emotion. That's like when someone gets angry. The reason someone can make you angry is because you care about them. That's, why that, that's how they can make you angry. Uh, so Jesus cared, uh, and he has a lot of emotions in, in the Scripture. And we're just going to talk about just a few of those in the very beginning of the message today. Then I want to take you down to Matthew chapter 23, which is where we're going to be camping most of the message today. And I want to talk to you about seven, seven things that Jesus warns us about. And he warns us about them because he cares. He cares about us. And there are seven different kinds of things that Jesus tells us you don't need to be associated with, you don't need to be involved with, you need to be careful when you're around people that are like this and that are functioning like this. And the reason he's sharing that with us is because he wants us to live a life of peace, he wants us to live a life of fulfillment, and he cares enough to invest information in us. And so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the se there's seven things there. They call them the woes of the Pharisees uh, in theology. But there are seven things that Jesus warns us about. And then in the end of the message, I want to talk to you just a little bit about how that he cared enough to go to Calvary for us, obviously. So I want to talk to you about uh, how that Jesus cares. We're going to begin today talking about the emotions of Jesus. The Bible said in Mark chapter 5 and verse number 19 that Jesus had compassion on people. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. Now, I think it's important for us to understand that Jesus was a compassionate person. Compassion should not be confused with permission. How many has ever heard someone look at you and say, well, I thought you were a Christian. Here's what I get sometimes. I thought you were a pastor. 
uh, hello, absolutely. And just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I'm a yes man. And just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you can let people take advantage of you. Doesn't mean you, I mean, it doesn't say Christian slash doormat. No, no, you don't need to let people run over you and, and pull that card on you. Well, I thought you were a Christian, so you need to do this for me or you need to do that for me. Listen, compassion does not mean that, that, that you are giving people permission to treat you the way that they treat you sometimes. Compassionate people have the audacity to take a risk and say no. Compassionate people have the audacity to speak truth to power. Compassionate people are people who have a passion about things and they're willing to put their life and their reputation on the line. And Jesus was a compassionate person. Jesus came and put his life and his reputation on the line to help humanity turn the corner from law to grace. To help them to understand that he is, was, and forever shall be the Messiah, the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. So Jesus had compassion. That was one of the emotions that Jesus carried. In John chapter 11, verses 28 through 37, we find where Jesus cried when one of his friends died. In fact, some people say, well, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Well, why did he cry? Because he was in relationship with Lazarus, Mary, and Martha of Bethany. He was close to them, and somebody told him that Lazarus had died, and Jesus cried. So Jesus had this kind of emotion. The third thing we find in Mark chapter 11, verses 15 through 17, where Jesus got angry, made a whip, and ran money changers out of the temple. Now, let me kind of explain it like I did in the first service so everybody can understand. Some people take that passage of Scripture and they use it to wail on people and say, well, churches, all they ever want is money and things like that. And so they use that to kind of go against people when people are trying to teach about tithing and sowing and giving and calling them money changers and what. Let me kind of help you understand what was going on here, okay? This was under law before grace because Jesus had not died. Jesus shows up at the temple and there are people that were bringing t uh, turtle doves and bringing lambs and whatnot to the church. And they were bringing them as sacrifices. And there was a group of priests, Levitical, the Levitical priesthood, that would examine these sacrifices to see if the sacrifice was meeting the criteria that was necessary to be accepted by God. And so there was a practice going on that raised money where they would say, no, I'm sorry, you know, there's a blemish here or there's a different coloration there, something like that. So this is just not going to qualify. But over there, tied up against that wall or in cages are animals and sacrifices that have already been examined and they qualify. So just go ahead and give us this animal here and, and I know you don't want to take it home and you don't want to take it inside. Just go get something, buy something and, and take it in there and do what you need to do. And so they would do that. They would go buy this animal and when they left, the Levitical priesthood would take the animal that they said didn't qualify and put it over there and sell it to someone else. And that was the money changers in the temple. And that's what upset Jesus. Jesus said, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer, and you have made it a den of thieves. And Jesus got angry, made a whip, turned over the money changers' tables, and ran them out of the temple yard. Now, I'm kind of a tough preacher sometimes, but how many of you would come back next Sunday if I just got tired of everything and started turning stuff over and made a whip and said, straighten up or get in line? I mean, you know, Jesus, Jesus had a kind of a crazy way of doing things, but here we are over 2,000 years later talking about it. So Jesus got angry. Anger's not sin. Anger's not sin. What we do with anger is sin. In fact, anger's a gift from God. God puts it inside of you to help you identify injustice and motivate you to do something about people that's taken advantage of you in your situation. However, 
when it becomes sin. The Bible said be angry and sin not. When it becomes sin is when we take that as an opportunity of our flesh and we use it for personal gain and we address the anger in the wrong way. Okay? Just because you say no doesn't, and just because you get angry and say no doesn't mean you have sinned. But if you cuss somebody out and say no, Am I preaching just to me today? (laughs) So that's the third thing. Jesus got angry. So Jesus had compassion. Jesus cried when a friend died, and Jesus got angry. And then in Luke chapter 13, verse number 34, the Bible says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which kills the prophets and stones them that are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. Jesus had personal emotional attachments to a city. It's kind of like us having personal emotional attachments to hometowns or maybe if we lived in a city for a really long time, we have personal and emotional attachments to a city. We say, you know, I just love this city and it's just, you know, and you travel and you can't wait to get home to your city. Well, Jesus was human enough to love Jerusalem so much to go outside of the city up to the Mount of Olives, look out over the city and cry out, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would have gathered you together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you just wouldn't let me do it. And his heart broke for the city. So we see the humanity of Jesus. We see the divinity of Jesus, obviously, but we also see the humanity of Jesus. So we see that he had compassion. We see he cried when a friend died. We see he got angry when he saw people uh, uh, taking advantage of other people in the house of the Lord. We see where he had love for a city and had an emotional attachment to a geographical location. So Jesus was human. We see the humanity of Jesus. So I want you to understand that all of this means that Jesus cared. You don't have compassion if you don't care. You don't get angry if you don't care. You don't cry if you don't care. And you don't pray prayers like Jesus did over Jerusalem if you don't care about that city and what happens and goes on inside of that city. Now I want you to go with me to Matthew chapter 23 and uh, we're going to start at verse number 13 and we're going to go through verse number 28 and we're going to kind of break this down. This is one of those places in the scripture that if you're, say, reading through the Bible or something of that nature, and this is one of the chapters that you're supposed to read that day, you'll just kind of read through the chapter. You'll read through chapter 23, and you'll kind of check it off and say, okay, I read through that chapter. And you just kind of read over it, and you don't really understand. There are passages in it that you don't really understand. Well, verses 13 through 28 is one of those passages that a lot of people just kind of just go on through and they read it and they're like, yeah, okay. But I want us to pause for just a few moments this morning because there are seven things that Jesus warns us about in this passage. And he warns us because he cares. He cares about us and he wants us to have God's best. So let's begin here in verse number 13. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites. Oh, Jesus, why are you calling people names? See, well, he called them vipers and serpents and all kinds of things. Jesus was fighting against the Pharisaical spirit. He said, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites. Here's what he said. For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. In this verse, Jesus warns us against religious people who obstruct the path to salvation. That means people who try to make access to God difficult. And he says there are people who want to make it. And and the Bible said the Pharisees there, see, they knew the law, but they didn't know God. They knew about God, but they didn't know God. They had grown up under the law. By the time that they were 12 years old, they'd have their bar mitzvah. They knew the word of God. They knew the Mosaic law. And so they knew it, but they didn't know God. They They knew about him, but they didn't know Yahweh. They didn't know him. They didn't know Jehovah. They did not know God. 
And so because they didn't know God and they were so educated, they didn't think anyone else should either. They, in fact, they didn't think it was possible for anyone else to know God. And Jesus said, beware of people like that. Why would he tell us to beware of people like that? Because you can know God. You can have a relationship with God. You can have a personal, intimate, close, one-on-one relationship with our Heavenly Father. We can do that. In the Old Testament, they were friends of God. In the New Testament, we have the opportunity to become sons of God. Total different relationship. Completely different relationship. Now, you say, is that in the church today? It absolutely is. you got people in churches all over the world today that's been in the way for 30 and 40 years. Well, I'm in the way. Yeah, you are. <laughs> yeah. Just because you have served God for 30 years doesn't mean that you have a corner on the market of salvation over someone who gave their life to Christ three months ago. In fact, it's been my experience, and I'm not trying to be critical, I'm just being observant this morning, but it's been my experience that many times I would rather have a brand new Christian pray for me if I need a miracle than someone who's been, quote, in the way for 30 years. You know why? Because those that have been, and, I, and listen, I'm talking about myself I gave my heart to the Lord when I was a child. I can't remember a time when I didn't love the Lord. I preached my first message when I was 80, yeah, 80, when I was eight years old. That was 48 years ago. No, it wasn't. It was 42 years ago. That was 42 years ago. I'm just trying to make myself old this morning. 80? Sure. Glory to God. That's young, yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But, but the thing about it is, is there's a lot of people today, you know, they'll say, well, you know, I, I grew up in church and, um, and, and they're so stuck in how God used to do things that they can't embrace what God is doing right now. And all they can do is be pharisaical and critical. Just find fault with everything. I'm going to tell you something. Pastor Charles is our worship pastor. He's 27 years old. He's not going to worship like a 60-year-old. He's got some things to learn, but maybe a 60-year-old has something to learn too. Come on. And when he's up here, and I'm just kind of using it as an example, but when he's up here, he is leading you in worship. And if you cannot follow a 27-year-old worship pastor to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the problem is not in him, it's in you. Come on, somebody told me yesterday, they said, come on, Pastor, you need to start getting us straightened out again. Uh, Well, here we go. (laughs) It's important for us to realize we're all approaching the throne of God together, but they don't have to have served God until they were 80 years old in order for us to follow. If they're going after God and worshiping God and trying to praise Him and magnify Him and trying to inspire you to do that, A 27-year-old isn't going to lead worship like someone that grew up in the 60s. They weren't even thought of. But God loves their generation. And God loves our generation. And some of you that are older than me, God loves your generation. God loves us all. And he wants us to worship together. And he wants us to love one another. And he wants us to approach the throne of God together. And no generation has a corner on the market of the move of God. Quit obstructing what God is trying to do. Jesus said, stay away from those kind of people. Stay away from people that are always trying to obstruct what I'm trying to do. Verse number 14. That was easy. I love you. I really do love you. You know that, right? Okay, verse number 14. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Jesus, come on, Jesus. Keep calling people names here. Scribes, Pharisees, and hypocrites. For you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. What was he talking about? He was warning us against financial opportunists in the church, especially when it comes to the widows. Well, what do you mean by that? 
it means pressuring, especially the widows, but pressuring people to sign over their properties and assets to the church in the name of God. He said, beware of people like that. Beware of people who are financial opportunists in the name of God. And here's what the Bible said. Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses and for pretense make long prayer. In other words, you show up at the widow's house and you stand out there and you pray and pray and pray and look at me how holy I am. Look at me. I'm really in touch with God and I'm just praying. I've been praying for two hours. I fast twice in the week and I pray long prayers and I do my ceremonial washings and everything. And because of that, God said, you're supposed to give me your house. Baloney! <laughs> Why are you addressing this, Pastor? Because it goes on in the church. God wants you to give. He wants you to participate in tithe and offering, but do it under His direction. Do it under God's, and don't ever feel, listen, here's a, here, <laughs> here's a good rule of thumb. If you feel pressured, don't do it. <laughs> Don't do it. Don't do it. There's nothing wrong with you giving a, a car to a ministry or a home to a ministry or a piece of property to a ministry, but make sure it's God that said do that to you and it's not somebody just coming and trying to act all spiritual and pressuring you to do something like that. Not popular with some groups in the church today, but it's Bible. Jesus said be careful and be warned about people like that. Verse number 15. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. Would you please just read this with me? I'm, I'm, get, I'm feeling weird about having to read that all the time. Just, just the first phrase there. Come on, read it with me, okay? Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites. <laughs> do, you think, do, you, do you think the Pharisees were scratching their head by now? And what about all of the other people that have been following Jesus? Whoa, he called somebody. Oh, he called a Pharisee a hypocrite. <laughs> My goodness. Okay, well, unto you scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you can pass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he's made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourself. The third thing that Jesus warns us about is he warns about people that proselyte you, maybe from your job or maybe from one church to the next or whatever. But he warns about people that have that spirit to proselyte and then turn you into someone who does things like that. And the Bible says here that God, God's telling us that God, here's the bottom line in a simple words, God is against people who create divisions in the body of Christ. God doesn't like it when that happens. And if you have been involved in proselyting, listen, we don't build this church off of other churches. We try to win the lost. Because we try to win the lost, people decide they want to be a part of this church that's been serving the Lord for a long time. But we never go to other churches and try to proselyte people into this body. You know why? Because that's a nasty, pharisaical spirit. And God warns us against that. He said, don't be around people like that. People that are constantly trying to proselytize people. Now, if someone's not going to church anywhere at all, like Delane Loans when years ago, uh, but some people know Delane. She was our first worship director, and she lives in Louisiana now. And I just love her and Kip. But when she came here, they had not been going to church anywhere for quite some time. And so there was a couple of people in our church who knew them and knew they weren't connected anywhere in church. So they told them about Lakewood and they came. That's not proselytizing because they're not connected somewhere. But if there's someone, it's wrong for people to try to pull you out of this church and put, try to get you to come to their church. Or it's wrong for us to try to pull people out of another church and try to get them to come to this church. That's wrong. It's creating divisions in the body of Christ. And it's very, very wrong to do that. And so it's important that we uh, uh, stay away from people like that. Now, Jesus warned us, number four, verse 16 through 22. We'll just kind of read through there real quick, and then I'll go back and kind of explain it because it sounds, uh, it sounds complicated, but it's very simple. Woe unto you, ye blind guides, which say, Whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing. But whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. Ye fools and blind, 
For whether is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifieth the gold. And whosoever shall swear by the altar, it is nothing. But whosoever sweareth by the gift that is upon the altar, he is guilty. Jesus said, Ye fools and blind, for whether is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifieth the gift... Whoso therefore shall swear by the altar, sweareth by it, and by all things thereon. And whoso shall swear by the temple, sweareth by it, and by him that dwelleth therein. And he that shall swear by heaven, sweareth by the throne of God, and by him that sitteth thereon. So here's what verse 16 through 22, Jesus actually gave some examples for this to try to help people understand it, okay? Jesus warns against imbalance. He also warned in this passage of Scripture about getting addicted to technicality. So, because the Bible says, Woe unto you, ye blind guides, which say, Whosoever shall swear by the temple is nothing, but whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. And so then he talks about the altar. What is more holy, the altar or the gift that is on the altar? And he talks about all of those things. And the bottom line is this. If God's involved in it, it's holy. And so what he was warning us against was disproportionalism, which is a big word, disproportionalism, which simply means imbalance in the body of Christ. And that's why it's important. And I teach you guys this all the time. You know, when I was evangelizing, I, I preached. Whoa, I don't have the strength to preach like I used to when I evangelized. But I preached. But that was the work of the evangelist. As a pastor, I have to teach you. And we see this disproportionalism. We see this imbalance in the church world today. It's important for you to come to a teaching church so you can receive a balance of the Word of God. People that are involved in... Uh, say, uh, national ministries, if you'll notice, they have the gift of the prophet, the gift of the evangelist or something. They're kind of in one vein. You've got one group that's really involved in faith and everything's faith, 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 faith. You have another group that stands up and says, take the anointing. And there's miracles that take place all the time. So it's healing, healing, healing. Then you got another group that's over here and they're pounding the nail on prosperity. Everything's prosperity, prosperity, prosperity. And then you got people that talk about, and, and I'm not criticizing any of this. Not at all, not at all. And you'll see what I mean by that in a moment. But then you got another group that talks about the battlefield of the mind. And you know what I'm talking about there? Always helping people heal emotionally. And so they're national ministries because they focus on one particular vein. And if we don't watch it, we'll get addicted to the area that we need the most and we'll forget everything else. Jesus warned against that. Jesus warned against imbalance in the church. So that's why it's important to go somewhere. Well, they'll teach you the Word of God from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation. They'll deal with healing. They'll deal with prosperity. They'll deal with peace. They'll deal with the Word. They'll deal with the whole counsel of God. And so Jesus was telling us this. He was telling us, be careful about getting connected to any one particular vein. Just stay connected to the Word of God. And make the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation your road map. Make it part of your life. And so Jesus was talking to them about this. Because see, here's what was happening. The Pharisees were trying to muddy the water with technicality. Well, we shouldn't be addicted to the altar. We should be, we should be blessed by the gold that's on the altar. Okay? Well, maybe, maybe we, you know, we, we like the temple, but we should, we should be more addicted to the way they do things there instead of just what the temple. And, and so they were muddying the waters through technicality. You always know a ministry that's on its way down when it starts dealing with technicalities. There are some moves of God that are just not technical. I mean, God can touch you if your hands are down. God can touch you if, you know, your hands are like this. 
you know, carry the baby, worship. Anybody seen Tim Hawkins? You know, you know, God, God can bless you if your hands are up like this. You know, he can bless you if they're like this, you know, goalpost worship and then wider worship. You know, God can just bless you. It doesn't matter. You, your hands don't have to be like this or like this or like this or like this or like this. And you don't have to stand like this or like this or anything like that. You can just say, Lord, here I am. Whatever you want to do, here I am. And so many times we get caught up in the technicality. Let me give you a really good example. I'm going to go to church this morning. Charles is going to lead in a song. The pastor's going to come up. He's going to welcome everybody. Then we're going to have another couple of three songs. And then we might pray for some people. And then we'll receive the offering. And then someone will sing a song. And then there'll be a message. And then there'll be a prayer of invitation at the end. And then we'll all go get in our car. And we'll go to the Royal Super Buffet. And we'll eat there or Sioux City or wherever or Lone Star or wherever or Chili's. And we'll go there and we'll eat. And we'll just talk about everybody and everything that happened that morning. And we'll go home thanking God for the fellowship. You see, if we don't watch it, we get so stuck in a box that if God wanted to blow that box apart, we wouldn't recognize the detonation when it happened. I am concerned about the church world around the world. I am concerned that they get involved in too much technicality. Here's an idea. Let's quit trying to figure things out and quit trying to figure God out. In fact, the Bible said, woe unto him that takes away the simplicity of the gospel. Let's quit trying to figure things out and let's just say, okay, God, here I am. Whatever you want to do, I don't have to understand it. I don't have to have a theological explanation from it, over it, because God, you're God. And whatever you want to do, God, I'm available and God, you can do that. Jesus warned against us using technicality to evade spiritual obligation. He warned against us getting involved with people who were so, who paid so much attention to detail that they literally organized the move of God out. Verse 23 and 24. Woe unto you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. <laughs> Jesus, come on. For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done and not to leave the other undone. So here's what Jesus was warning against here. He was warning against people who are outwardly religious but inwardly full of self-indulgence. In other words... Outwardly, I'm a Lord, I worship you. Lord, I give you praise. Lord, I magnify you. Behind the scenes, I'm going to have things my way. Yeah, yeah. That's what happens sometimes. Can I tell you something? I love you, but I'm going to tell you how it is. You know that. I'm a straight shooter. Listen to me. The church is not a democracy. It's a theocracy. It's not people governed. It's God governed. And in America, because we're so addicted to our republic, which has a democratic form of government, we think everything that is organized ought to run that way. But I want to tell you something. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a world religion. It's a global religion. And it is a theocracy, which is God-governed. So if we get into the Word of God, we can see how God wants things done. And here's what I found out. And I've, been in, I, I, I've had to deal with it in the past. There are some churches that are deacon-possessed. <laughs> Hello. It doesn't mean that people's voice don't matter. That I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm saying is we need to understand that God has placed leadership, a divine order in the church... And there's someone in that church who has the responsibility to get before God and say, what direction are we supposed to go? And if we miss it, it's my fault. 
Do you think I don't take that serious? You understand what I'm saying? How would you like to be in that chair? How would you like to be there? So here's what happens. Sometimes, because we're addicted to this democratic form of government here in the United States of America, when we don't necessarily get things our way, then we worship like this on the outside, but we go behind the scenes and try to gather our posse around our opinion. And that's what creates division in the church. And Jesus said, watch out for those kind of people. That's what he said. So if somebody comes to me spreading rumors about my leadership on the state level or the organizational level, I politely take my coffee and go to a different table. Because I'm not going to be involved in anything that's going to create division. Does that mean I agree with everything that happens? No, but I'm submitted to spiritual authority. And if it's not immoral, unethical, or illegal, if they tell me to do something, I'll do it. This is the final authority, but there's a divine order in the church. And so really what Jesus was talking about here is people that buck divine authority, which is divine order, which is going into verses 27 and 28, which is number 7, which deals with, well, just let me read it uh, real quick here. It says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you are like unto whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. And when you really study that out, what Jesus is talking about, he warns against people that do not have the ability to be accountable. I'm getting older now, so I can say this. I'm kind of like in that middle, you know. I'll be 50 in December. Wow. Wow. That's like five decades. Okay. All right. So to the 20-some-year-olds, I'm a father figure. To those of you that are 70 and 80, well, you could be my boy. Well, let me say something about that, okay? I could be but I'm your pastor. And there's a difference in me being your son and being your pastor. And I'm 50 years old now, and if I've got to grow a backbone right in front of you and take a stand, I will. And it's not because I disrespect you, it's because I carry the weight and the responsibility of this ministry around with me every single day. I care about you. I care about this church. I care about what God's doing. I want to see the best. And every decision that I make, now I don't always make the right ones. Most of the time I do. I'm not bragging. Most of the time I do make the right decisions. But there have been times, and you've seen me, get in this pulpit and look at you and say, whoops, I'm sorry. At least I can do that. But there are times when I have to make decisions that aren't popular. And I promise you, I never make a decision based on whether someone's going to like it or not. I make the decision based on what's best for the body. Because I love you and I care about you. And Jesus here was warning against those that do not have the ability to be accountable. He said, stay away from those kind of people. He continues that warning against against those people and he calls them corrupt and lawless. So... You say, well, pastor, you're talking about Jesus cares. Yes, that's exactly what I'm talking about. He cares enough about us to share these seven things. And he cares enough about us to tell us, to tell us, watch out for this. Why? Because he died so that we could have peace. He died so that we could be saved. He died so that we could be well. He died so that we could experience the blessing and the favor of God upon our life. And he's not going to pay that kind of sacrifice for those things and then watch us blow it because the wrong kind of people are being allowed into our life. So he's saying, watch out for this. I care about you, so watch out for this. So the last thing that I want to talk to you about today, and we're not going to talk anywhere near as long as we did here, but I just want to touch it. I want to talk to you about the redeeming power of Calvary. I am concerned today that the modern church is beginning to miss the message of Calvary. 
let me say this. It's good for us. And I teach it here because it's the word. Because we try to be balanced. But it's good for us to learn how to position ourselves to receive God's best in our life. We talk about that here. But it should never replace those kinds of messages and those kinds of series and stuff should never replace the gospel message that Jesus came to seek and to save those which are lost. Here is what Lewis Schaefer said in 1922, and I quote, he said, Christians are ambassadors for Christ and are commissioned to preach the gospel to every creature. This ministry does not consist in either the education or the moral improvement of lost men while they are on their way to hell. He said, it is the proclamation of the mighty, redeeming, transforming grace of God which offers eternal life and eternal glory to all who will believe. What was he saying? He was saying, there's so many people, if we don't watch it, we'll get involved in trying to, to, to teach people how to improve their lives and all of these kinds of things, and we'll forget to tell them how to get to heaven. Amen. I want us to enjoy the journey. I want us to experience the blessing of God upon our lives. I want us to live in God's favor. I want us to access Him. But it all begins by us giving our life to Jesus. And it all begins by us supporting ministries that proclaim the message of salvation to a world that's lost and undone without God. That always has been and always will be the primary message of the cross. Amen. There are lost people that are waiting to hear the message of Jesus. So Jesus cares so much about us that he offered himself as the eternal sacrifice for our sins. In Hebrews chapter 7, and I'll just read through it, but verses 25 through 28, some good preaching stuff here. I, I chose to, uh, to read it to you out of the Amplified because it's more, you know, um, I, I study uh, different translations. My primary translation is the King James Version, but for all of you that think that that's the only Bible, you know, that's a translation too. It, it was just translated before you were born, like in 1600 and something. But it's a translation also. But the Amplified, I like it because it commentates a little bit. And so here's what it says. Hebrews 7, 25 through 28. Therefore, he is able also to save, talking about Jesus, to the uttermost, completely, perfectly, finally, and for all time and eternity, those who come to God through him, since he is always living to make petition to God and intercede with him and intervene for them. Verse 26, here is the high priest, perfectly adapted to our needs as was fitting, holy, blameless, unstained by sin, separated from sinners, and exalted higher than the heavens. He has no day-by-day -day necessity, as do each of these other high priests, to offer sacrifice first of all for his own personal sins and then for those of the people because he met all the requirements once and for all when he brought himself as a sacrifice which he offered up. For the law sets up men in their weakness, frail, sinful, dying human beings as high priest. But the word of God's oath, which was spoken later after the institution of the law, chooses and appoints as one priest, as priest one, whose appointment is complete and permanent, a son who has been made perfect forever. So there in verse number 28, what he was saying there was the law appoints men to be high priest. But Jesus, when he went into the holy place and offered himself up as the sacrificial lamb, he had to go in only one time and no longer does he have to go in there because the sacrifice of himself was so perfect that it satisfied the requirements of the law for all of eternity. And so we no longer have to go through a priest with a lamb or a turtle dove. We go through Jesus. We go through Jesus. That's the message of the gospel. 
That's the message of the cross of Jesus Christ. It said over 2,000 years ago, Jesus came and he walked the face of this earth and he walked the Via Dolorosa and he bled and he died and he cried. It is finished and three days later he rose again and God raised him up and seated him in the heavenly places beside himself and raised us up together with him and he is now functioning as the intercessor because when he brought himself as that sacrifice because he cares for us. When he brought himself as that sacrifice, he established eternal atonement for all of humanity. Atonement at one with. Atonement. His sacrifice made us at one with God. It gave us FaceTime with God. FaceTime with God. Wow. Think about how much He loves you. How much He cares. I can see Him bringing Himself to the Father. And we're closing. You can stand if you'd like, but I can see Him bringing Himself to the Father and saying, Father, I want to offer myself for the sins of humanity. At that point, the Bible said Jesus proceeded forth and came from God. So God is the Father of Jesus. At that point, the Father agreed with him and gave him. Jesus brought himself and offered himself to the Father for the Father to give him as a sacrificial lamb. Entering one time into the holy place to obtain eternal And that is where we get John 3, 16 from. Where the Bible said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. God gave his only begotten Son that whosoever, come on, look at your neighbor and say, that means me. Whosoever, whosoever, your name is whosoever, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Hallelujah. For God sent not his son into the world. What did he send him into the world for? To become the sacrificial lamb. God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Hallelujah. There's the gospel. There's the gospel. Hallelujah. Jesus brought himself and God agreed and offered him. Hallelujah. And then the Bible said after he offered himself, that God raised him from the dead and exalted him and seated him in heavenly places far above all principalities and powers and mights and dominions in every name that is named. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Hallelujah. He's Lord to the glory. To the glory of God, his Father. I'm about to have a Pentecostal fit. (laughs) Hallelujah. Hallelujah. They call us full gospel because when we get so full, we bust. When we bust, we shout. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a few moments. And those that's watching on live stream, listen to me also. If you're here today, now listen. Jesus shared with us things that we needed to watch out for because he cares about us. We showed you in the beginning of the message that he's a human. He was a human that had emotions like we do. 
Then in the very end, I showed you where he loved us so much that he brought himself to the Father. And the Father loved us and offered him. Jesus offered him to himself. So we can get in the word and we can learn the word and all of that. But knowledge without relationship is a dead end road. It all begins with us giving our life to Jesus and letting him be the savior of our soul and the Lord of our life. So what I wanna do is I don't want to embarrass you or make you come up in front of people before you've given your life to Christ. I mean, the Bible says we're supposed to confess him before men and he'll confess us before our Father which is in heaven, but that's after we give our life to Christ. In other words, we need to tell somebody once we give our life to Jesus. But this thing about making you get out in the aisle and come up in front of everybody and say, oh, look at me, I'm a sinner. You know, nothing wrong, I don't guess with that if that's how you want to do it, but... I just want to help you come into relationship with the Lord and then you can come to the altar with the rest of us and we can all just enjoy God together. So if you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, just pray with me right now. Just say something along these lines. I mean it from your heart. Just say, Dear Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I ask you to come into my heart and make me a Christian. I believe you're the son of God that you died on Calvary for me and today I receive you and confess you as my savior and the Lord of my life in Jesus name amen if you prayed that prayer you need to tell somebody you may feel saved and you may not but God is bound by his word this is not about emotion. It's about God's word. He loves you. And here's what I tell people. Some people feel the weight of the world come off their shoulders when they give their life to Jesus. There's other people that three months down the road, they'll turn, road, they'll turn around and they'll say, oh my goodness, I'm different than I used to be. God works different in all of us. We work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Here's what I feel directed to the Holy Spirit to do here in this second service. I want to just open up the altars. I want us, everyone that will to just come. And let's just come and have a time of gratefulness and gratitude to the Lord that He cares for us. Some can kneel, some can't kneel. You're, you can feel free to sit here on the steps or some of the front chairs, whatever you want to do. But let's just all gather together for just a little bit. And let's just spend some time with the Lord. And when you get through praying, then you can consider yourself dismissed. In fact, we just bless you in the name of the Lord that you'll have a great week. Come on, let's all come spend time with the Lord. Thank you for joining us on Working the Word. For more information, go to our website at www.suncoast4, and that's the number four, Jesus. TV. You may also write us at 12637 Pony Lane, Hudson, Florida, 34669. Or you may call us at 727-856-1770. Our office hours are Monday through Wednesday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., Thursdays, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. And remember, the Word will work if you work the Word.